Welcome to the Financial Dads Podcast with Paul Fagan and Jody Fisher. This is the podcast for all dads who want to succeed with life's topics, especially related to family and finances. And here's my dad, Paul Fagan. Hey, Jody. How you doing today? Hello, Paul. How are you? I'm doing well. Doing fantastic. Uh, today's episode is our 50th episode. Can you believe this? Ding, 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 ding. It's crazy. We have this whole library of content. I remember when we started this thing with our first podcast, which was the uh, mortgage payoff, still near and dear to my heart. And I, I listen back to it every once in a while on a walk or on a run. And I'm like, man, I, I do I do hear the improvement over time, at least on my side, which is great. That's the one. Yeah, that's the one where I sound like I'm at the bottom of a hole. <laughs> oh, yeah, we struggled. We struggled. Now, years later, you could look, I mean, years, years, months later, whatever you want to call it. A year later, uh, look on the uh, Facebook page. You'll see our rigs. We we do have more f- professionalism. I think we've practiced enough to uh, get the rhythm down. Sometimes we still goof up. At least I do. Uh, but uh, I think we got good rhythm at this point. So, uh, but yeah, this is our fiftieth episode. So it's funny we 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 have this magic number, right? Because coincidentally, um, I'm gonna be fifty this year, and Jody, you might be turning what twenty this year? Twenty two. Yeah, nicely done. No, that's my wife. <laughs> I, I, I joke with I joke with her. It's the ex anniversary of her 29th birthday. Ah, interesting. Uh, but yes, I turned 50 this year as well. Very cool. Very cool. So yeah, we're going to the vault to revisit some of these favorite discussions we've had over the past year. Um, you can watch all these videos on our Facebook and YouTube channel. We won't repost them. You could just go to the pages and find them. And we'd love to hear from you. Uh, please make sure you leave a comment on our Facebook page or one on the YouTube video page. And we'll, you know, go through all these and have some laughs and look at the high points and the low points as we move through. It'll be like a treasure hunt. You gotta That's listen right. To the, listen to the audio here and then go back and find it online. Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, but first, let's go. Let's talk about some news we saw this past week. This first news story, uh, and we're, I think we're kind of moving away a little bit this week from our norm in terms of personal finance. This one is a news story. It's more of a business story. It's J.C. Penney. 118-year-old department store files for bankruptcy. This was a story in the New York Times business section. And it's following the move of many companies right now during this coronavirus pandemic of J. Crew, Neiman Marcus, Gold's Gym. There's all these different companies that are going through this crisis of sorts. Um, of sorts. They're going through a crisis. It's a big crisis. But I, when I read this article, Jody, what jumped out at me, and I don't think it's part of the article... But I think shopping in general has changed, and I think that it's more evolving. And I know that there's some fallout from the big box stores and the big department stores, and there's a lot of nostalgia. But realistically, if you talk to most people, they're ordering stuff online. And I'm not sure if they're making the trips to the stores much anymore. And especially during the pandemic, I'm seeing grocery delivery all over the place. So, Jody, what's your take when it comes to this story? Yeah, the reason I pull this story out and, and, you know, we're sad to see any any uh, employer close down because that means a loss of jobs. It means a loss of revenue. It, it means in some cases the loss of of community. Right. And, and when we talk about a disappearing community, part of any community makeup of any community is is an employer, is a store, is a retail operation and is the uh, the jobs uh, and the economy that it that it creates uh, locally. 
Um, you know, I think you're absolutely right, Paul, when you talk about JCPenney going out of business and the shift to online. Um, I fear that JCPenney is probably one of these companies that was very slow to innovate. Um, and they're just they're, they're so overly invested in brick and mortar um, that they really didn't pivot well. Um, you know, you saw that same problem, I think, with Toys R Us back last year when they they went out of business. Uh, they're they're trying to find their feet again in terms of a uh, a combination of an online and a brick and mortar operation. Uh, I've read stories to that effect, at least. Um, but but this is sort of this new normal that we're going. And I even hate to use the word normal, but this new reality that we're that we're moving into. Um, where the old is going to be very quickly gone, I think, and the people who adapt and pivot and change and find new opportunities in this new world that we're going to be living in, at least, I think, for the next 12 to 18 months, those are the ones who are going to succeed. So this is just kind of a, a footnote in everything we're going through here and sort of the effect that um, all of this coronavirus fallout is having on our economy. And that trickles down to a very personal, personal level with all these employees. Yeah. I have to say that another thing that triggered in my mind was I've made some career changes in the past five years, and I think it applies to – it could apply, not to not in everybody's case, but for me it did. Um, you have to pivot with the times. I'm in technology, and uh, you have to pivot when you think you have to pivot to the right – you know, the right spot, if that's the right way to put it. So I know I'm kind of making a weird – analogy or a weird tie to it but i think pivoting is very key whether you're a business whether it's your career whether it's your household you mentioned it's very very personal and i could see how it could be very personal so um yes it we're sad to see these businesses and what's happening and 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 the hope is that there's a transformation that in the end makes it bigger and better for everybody that was involved so that's my hope Okay, Jody, our second story for today is from CNBC.com. Uh, small business owners worry they won't survive coronavirus without federal loans, but experts say they have options. Um, this was an interesting one, Jody, because I think it talks to the pull that we have between all the different situations that are out there, whether you're in the government or you're an employee or a small business owner or a large business owner. It's really tough to kind of figure out the best way to to move the ball forward and keep all these small business owners uh, surviving. Um, and do they need federal loans? I'm not sure. Jody, you might be one of the first, you know, one of the first people I would go to ask this question. I mean, you're in your own business. You have partners in your business. They talk in here about things you should do, right, to, to make sure that you weather the storm. That's keep bringing in the business, right? Limit the expenses and don't navigate this alone. Right. Make sure you're getting your tax professional, your attorney, those folks to help you and then get creative. Um, and then also, as a last thing, look at these PPP and EIDL loan programs that might be available to you. And then finally, if all else fails, you consider those last resort options, right, which may include, you know, bankruptcy, some of these other pieces and then preparing for another day, preparing for tomorrow, fighting that next day. So, Jody, what is your take when it came to this article? Because I think it probably resonates pretty well with you. And I'm just curious what your take is on it, more so than mine. Yeah, the, the current coronavirus pandemic has not had that dramatic an impact on me. Now, granted, I am, uh, you know, I, I run my own business inside of a larger business. I know that that larger business 
um, has taken out some loans to keep uh, people on payroll. It's about a 50-person operation. Um, I am one of those 50 people because technically I am an employee, but I run this division um, completely independently of the um, the finances of that larger business. Um, but I am the only person in the division, so I've, uh, all I really need to do is take care of myself, pay my bills, pay myself, and I'm good. Um, so, so I've been okay, and and I always I've run the business that division the way I run my personal finances, which I'm always putting money aside for rainy day for contingency, making sure that I have money to draw down on when things get lean. Because um, in a business where you're invoicing clients, you know. Uh, they don't pay they don't pay their invoices you know steadily sometimes you know more comes in sometimes less comes in sometimes people fall behind and that's just the reality of doing business um and and i and i love all my clients and i love it when they pay me <laughs> but even when they you know they accidentally miss a month or it doesn't come in you know we work through that i've got money put aside to take to take care of that um when you've got larger operations and i have clients who are small businesses who have had to take loans who have had to keep people on payroll um, I think this article here is invaluable because it runs through uh, the top line things that you need um, to keep your eye on. And I love the number one here priority is keep bringing in business. Um, I know that might sound really challenging to do right now, um, you know, bringing in business when it seems like everybody is just trying to hoard cash uh, and, and cut their expenses. Um, but there are people out there who continue to, you know, I mean, we're all spending money, right? So our money is going somewhere. Keep bringing in business, I think, is the number one thing that small business owners need to do because you're always working on bringing in business, right? You're never not bringing in business. You're always selling. Limiting expense is always a great idea. Um, don't navigate this alone. Number three is is a terrific uh, piece of advice because you you do have to draw on other people and their expertise. You draw on people's expertise every other day of the year, right? So why should this be a different situation? And so having the the skills of a banker, an attorney, uh, whoever else that can help you navigate this, I think is really important. And number four, get creative. Absolutely, you've always gotta be creative in small business because you've always gotta be coming up with new ideas that bring you back to number one, which is keep bringing in business. So um, terrific article, especially if you run a small business, check this out. Very cool. Very cool. I guess with that, we're on to our weekly topic, the best of the first 50 episodes of Financial Dads. So we'll start with uh, the first, one of the first videos we're going to take a look at is June 2019. And this is the family dashboard. I guess we'll give it a listen, Jody. Yep. And it does work for us well. And we've used it throughout the years. And it's morphed into what I call the family dashboard. Um, A good friend of mine, he had a similar dashboard that he uses for his family. And what I mean by dashboard is we have the ability to input a number of numbers, whether it's my uh, the, the savings accounts, the checking accounts, what we owe on credit cards, whatever it is, whatever key piece of financial data, we plug it into one tab in the spreadsheet and then that calculation cascades through the rest of the spreadsheet. So the second tab is probably the most important tab. And that's where it goes into details like you're talking about. So tracking the monthly expenditures um, beyond the light bill and beyond the um, the, ga- the gas bill, whatever that is, I take into account haircuts and insurance for the cars and monthly commute and lunches for the week and, and kids stuff. All those kind of pieces come in. Very cool. Very cool. And I still use 
that financial dashboard today. I was in it last week, Jody. I still want to see this this dashboard because I think my spreadsheet is pretty cool, but I'm dying to see yours. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I've taken a look at it, and to be honest with you, it, it's been I, – I did try to sanitize it. It's so customized for my family that I, I wasn't sure what the best approach would be to to distribute it. And so maybe I'll have to revisit that and see how I could best make that more sanitized and make it more generic. Uh, because right now it's so customized. Um, we've talked about what's in it in terms of the financials. You know, what I do basically is I plug in all the numbers in the first tab of the spreadsheet, all the balances from retirement funds or checking accounts or credit cards, for, uh, all these different things go into there. And then it cascades these calculations through the rest of the spreadsheet. That's the part that I want to see. I, I, I'm not interested in how much money you make or what your mortgage payment. Well, you don't have a mortgage payment, is, but uh, I want to see how the one spreadsheet affects the other because I have I have some formulas set up in my Excel spreadsheet, um, but it sounds like I don't have a, a tenth of the detail that you have. I'll, I'll put it on my uh, on my. And I'm a list. sucker for graphs and charts <laughs> and all that kind of. I really want to see it. Well, I don't have the <laughs> I don't have the graphs and charts in there, but it is interesting. I do have. Um, it's really about the numbers, right? So, for example, in the spreadsheet, I have a calculation as to what I would net if I had to sell my house today, you know, at a fire sale. Like, how, you know, what would be left over? And, and this was important early on when I had the mortgage because, you know, I'd be upside down probably at some point, right, when the, when the whole 2008 came because I bought my house in 04. And believe me, my house... Everyone who's made money on their houses out there, and, and a lot have, it ain't me. I can tell you that right now, right? My house is, and we've talked about this in other episodes, but that's for another whole podcast. We don't, I don't see the house as an investment. Far from it in my case. But it is, it is interesting because you know I have these weird calculations in there to say, okay, what if I liquidated all of my retirement money today? What would it net me? Right after penalties and taxes, I have all these weird calculations in there for all these what if scenarios. That's what that's what's great about the dashboard is it allows you to explore these what if scenarios. So if something did happen that was catastrophic, or you wanted to take a a wild guess at what something would turn out to be, you could just you could just go through the numbers in the spreadsheet. And so. I have something similar in mind, uh, not to that level of detail. But the reason I wanted to, I thought we should start out with this clip, um, is because this is what we've talked about as being incredibly important to managing your financial health is having this stuff written down in whatever way you have it written down whether it's a family dashboard whether it's a simple excel spreadsheet or whether it's a piece of paper that's tacked up on your refrigerator having it written down allows you to begin to master your financial health um, you'll know what's coming in you'll know what's going out you'll know what is or is not left over and then you'll understand or begin to understand how you can improve on that situation because um i don't th i don't think any of us have mastered uh or, or made perfect uh, our financial picture but the more detail you can get to it the more granular you can get to it and the more you can control the the what goes out the better you can make your money do what you want it to do yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that's why I think I love having – it's the control. You have your spreadsheet. I have my spreadsheet. We both hug our individual spreadsheets. 
Um, like I've said before, I like to do an update to it and then I like to stare. There's one tab in particular and I, I derived it from from, the, from an old show that used to be on called Susie Orman, The Susie Orman Show. And she used to have this segment on the show called How Am I Doing? And she used to take a typical couple or family and, and plot their numbers. And then she would have this simple view as to assets versus liabilities versus, you know, how much cash on hand, all these different, you know, it wasn't a complicated spreadsheet, but it was basically the inputs, the outgoes, um, and what it looked like. And I've modified that view slightly. I include a total of college savings in there. I have um, cash on hand in there, retirement versus non-retirement funding. I account for a six-month emergency fund in there. And so when the numbers are complete, I get the most accurate snapshot of what my net worth is, which I like. And, and that's probably the most important part of the, of the spreadsheet. So um, with that, I think we'll go to the next story which was July 2019, and the clip is Money and Marriage. Making sure that you have a plan that adjusts and responds to the needs of your specific household. There's no one right way to do it, um, other than making sure that the math works. There's no one right way to do it. Um, the, the way we've done, we've done it completely differently from you guys. We've, we've co-mingled, we've commingled everything. So it's one checking account. It's a couple different savings account busted out, um, by need, you know, there's one saving account for the house. There's one. There's one for each of the kids. Um, there's sort of the 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 dream vacation, you know, savings account that that's often another institution where we toss money into that all the time. There's the savings account for the house where we're throwing money into that all the time. Um, so there are different savings accounts, but in terms of the household budget, everything is in one pot and it's all on one spreadsheet. And we make sure that we are constantly talking to each other on what's coming in, what's going out, what we need to spend on this week, um, you know, when we need to, um, you know, buy prescriptions or when we when that payment is coming up. And, and 99% of what's in that budget um, is just recurring. It's the monthly payments. So we all we both know what's what's in that spreadsheet and what's coming in and going out all the time. You know what jumped out at me with this, Jody, and I remember going back to this, how my household runs way differently than your household when it comes to money and marriage. <laughs> I remember that distinctly. <laughs> so just to kind of, so I love the way you guys handle it. Um, it's textbook, right? You guys sit down, you go through the numbers, you look at the spreadsheet, you go through all the pieces that are needed. For me, uh, me and my wife, we, we, we don't do that. So even though we're doing well financially, uh, we've talked about this in the past. We also cite that um, Oprah Winfrey, Oprah, I'm just going to say Oprah, she recommended this methodology that me and my wife use in her um, O Magazine. And I remember the article because I gave it to a dear friend of ours uh, when he was about to be married. And um, I don't think it landed well, um, especially with his spouse, but um, well, he'll, rena he'll remain nameless. But at the end of the day, when it comes to personal finance, once again, it's very it's very personal, right? So just a quick recap, what we do is I have my own accounts, my wife has her own accounts, and we have a shared credit card and we have a shared checking and savings. And every month, and this started way before we were married, uh, when we were living in um, Queens together, um, we, we, we started a joint account, we each put equal amounts of money into that joint account and 
every month we pay bills out of that account and then we backfill the account with a, at the time, I believe it was a 50-50 split. And then we got married and then it became apparent and we did have a financial conversation about this where, you know, um, we wanted to make sure that whoever was making more money would uh, pay a little more. So we, we enacted that into the formulas, right? So we have this split in the spreadsheet and we still use that same spreadsheet. It's a second spreadsheet that we have, Jody, for just house expenses. And every month, I, I'm the one who pays the house expenses. I handle all those those payments. Um, and my wife's very hands-off with them. And at the end of the month, I calculate what she owes and what I owe. And I write a check out to myself. And she writes a che- I write the check out to herself. She signs it. And then I deposit them. And we move on. And, and it's gotten better with the technology. Uh, when we first started this, I used to have to take... Um, each and every check, get them signed, go to a bank, make the deposits, and now it's all digital, right? But but it's worked out uh, pretty well. So once again, uh, different ways of money and marriage. But but I remember this episode, and I remember thinking, wow, that is the that is a great way to do it, Jody. What's your take when it came to that uh, episode? Yeah, I just remember um, sort of that was one of the first episodes to me where you and I agreed in theory on what we needed to do, but we executed it differently. And that sort of defined um, the rest of our philosophy that we always talk about on the podcast, which is um, there is no wrong way for you to do it as long as the math works. I think like we, like I said in that clip um, uh, and, but also that you're communicating about it. I mean, you know, the, the way you and your wife run your finances works because you communicate about it right the way my wife and i run our finances works because we communicated about it even though the execution couldn't be more different the the core principles are one make the math work and two t- you know tell each other what you're doing and that's the most important part about running a family budget is just communication yeah you know what now that you put it that way i guess i do have to agree we have inherent trust in each other um, I do have access to all the accounts from a login perspective. That's important for for knowing where we stand from a family financial perspective, right? And that's the only reason why I have it is to make sure that the numbers tick and tie and we have an accurate picture of where we're at because uh, I think that's important, especially in times like COVID, right? I could lose my job. She could lose her job. You really want to know where you're at. <laughs> if something happens, that's catastrophic. I go back to, you know, if you have a child sick, it, you really want to know your numbers. And a lot of people just don't know their numbers like we do, Jody. And, and oh, we encourage so people. many people don't know. Yeah, they just don't know their numbers. And we encourage everybody out there, if you take anything from today's podcast, know your numbers. Right? Try to get your arms around them. Understand them. And it'll give you. And, and if they scare you, that's a good thing. That means you have some work to do. Um, if they don't scare you that much um, and you think they're you're in good shape well that's great too so I think um, either way you really should know your numbers so uh, the next episode is June 2019 and it was paying off debt paying off debt episode and I believe it's me Jody that is speaking in this clip so let's hear the clip let's roll the clip as they say uh, my school loan from my undergrad my wife's school loan from law school our mortgage our cars I've talked about these on previous podcasts but we always treated them with utmost urgency to get rid of them out of our lives. Um, in fact, um, you know, in terms of uh, my wife's school loan, we actually at one point 
took the school loan and converted it to a HELOC for a number of reasons. Uh, but for our purposes, we wanted to pay down and slay that dragon as soon as possible. Ah, slay the dragon. I remember that episode. That was yeah. a good one. That was a good one. Yeah, it's worked for me. Like, I, I am – I treat debt. I'm very respectful of debt. It's like uh, respect for, you know, a gun or a chainsaw. We've talked about these things on previous podcasts. <laughs> They're very scary and dangerous if you don't know how to operate them correctly. And – uh, both of them, and and so is debt. Um, wow, like I remember, yeah, you have to. I remember looking at this and saying, okay, how are we going to strategize and tackle getting rid of this? Because this is only going to get worse. The interest is only going to climb, and the longer we keep it, the more money we're going to pay, and it's going to impact our family. So we got to get rid of this. So I remember that video distinctly, Jody. What was your take when it when it comes to paying off debt? Yeah, we've always been on the same page with this one, Paul. Um, debt is the enemy, right? Um, the, the chainsaw analogy aside, debt is the enemy because debt takes money out of your cash flow. It's something else that you're obligated to pay. And you have enough obligations to pay, whether it's your mortgage, your utility bill, your food bill, stuff for your kids, you know, clothes and sneakers and all that kind of stuff um, before you even get to the things that you want to spend your money on, right? The fun stuff. Um, there are plenty of obligations. Debt should not be one of those. Um, so getting rid of things like credit cards, uh, loan payments, uh, anything where you buy something now and pay later um, is, is something that's going to get in the way of your long-term financial health. So get rid of those debts as quickly as possible. And Paul, I think your analogy of slaying the dragon is a perfect one. Very cool. Very cool. So I think we'll jump to the next story, January 2020, taking care of your health. It's not just the gym. And Jody, I think this was you speaking, so let's roll that clip. I got to get to the gym. I got to lose some weight. And that's not, as you ran through that list, Paul, that's not only what we're talking about here. Sure, we. I go to the gym too. I get up early and go to the gym in the morning. That's become my routine. I've done that probably for the last 10 years. I am by no means, even though I'm in the gym regularly, I'm not a gym rat. You know, I'm not ripped, even though maybe sometimes I wish I was. Um, you know, I could still stand to lose 10 pounds, uh, and I'll figure out how to do that, and maybe this is the year I, I do it. Um, but the point being is I go to the gym to, for my daily routine just to keep me healthy, to keep my body moving, to keep my muscles in shape, to keep my joints in shape. Sure, I want to lose some weight, but it's also about making sure that I don't age prematurely. Um, you know, you, you, I, I look around not just at the, the generation um, that is our parents' generation, but um, even our own generation. You see so many people who have health problems, um, whether it's joints, bones, um, internal internal problems, you know, through whatever type, whether it's disease or whether it's, you know, brought on by yourself. Um, you, you see people with health problems at such young ages and I look at, I go, I don't want to be that. I, I can't be there when I'm, you know, when I'm 70 and 80 and 90, hopefully, um, I, I don't want to be, you know, walking around with a cane or, oh geez, in a wheelchair or, you know, not able to walk up a flight of stairs or, so I, I do the gym and the, and the health thing just to make sure that I'm maintaining, um, what I've got. Yeah, I remember that episode, Paul. That was about, um, I think it was about life insurance and sort of the benefits, a larger conversation about the benefits of being healthy and how that can actually affect your financial picture. Yeah, it was tying the financials 
to your health. And I think that was important. And, and I always say you can't put a price tag on health. So we, in my opinion, I put more money into gym memberships or uh, buying healthier food, et cetera. But I think it results in, you know, let's face it, Jody, we're, we're not getting younger and hopefully we stay as healthy as we are. But right now I'm not taking any medication um, that, you know, for diabetes or for blood thinners or for all these things, which is rampant in my family, right? Um, my, my, my father's side of the family, his, my father, his mother and father, I'm sure their, their mother and father, uh, all big people. And uh, by the time they were my age, I think they were already starting to have to take certain medications to keep control over sugar and stuff like that. It's just one example, right? And, and hopefully I don't have to go there. Maybe some of it is um, nutrition and some of it is maybe genetics. But right now I've been able to hold it back. So I'm hoping that it's more nutrition based. Yeah, the, the health piece is, is so important, um, both for your own personal health, for the kind of person you are with your family. And going back to the to the spirit of the podcast, you know, it, it has an effect on what you pay and what your monthly budget is. Paul, you mentioned things like prescriptions. Those cost money. In addition to just having a terrible impact on on your own health, on on, on your family life and, and all that. Um, it has an impact on your finances. And so getting your health, getting in charge of your health is just as important, I would argue, as getting in charge of your debt, getting in charge of your financial picture, because it's going to have an impact um, and a long term impact. Right. I mean, when you're talking about reversing health problems, um, you know, those don't go away in a couple of months. Those take months, if not you know, years um, to, to rectify. Uh, and they can be incredibly financially challenging as well as, you know, just uh, challenges to your health, challenges to your emotional well-being. Oh, absolutely. And I think that to what you just said, the whole idea of being out of work because of a health scare, right, that could take set you back financially, especially if you're in your own business or you have to rely on disability or unemployment and you make X and now disability and unemployment is only going to pay bare minimum. I mean, you know, so it really could, if for, for those of you out there who don't think having good health uh, has an impact on your financial future and your current finances, I think you're mistaken. So I think uh, I remember that episode and I remember saying, wow, I probably people out there thinking, wow, how are they going to tie this to finance? But it really did. I remember that it, um, that, that it was a strong tie and, and we still insist on that today, a year later. Um, or yeah, but, uh, no, I guess we did this one in 2020. Uh, but I guess six months later, we still insist that uh, taking care of your health is of utmost importance for both yourself, personal well-being, and your finances. So the the next uh, story was July 2019, and it was pay yourself first. So Jody, uh, let's roll the clip. This is one of my this is one of my favorites, Paul, because this is uh, a really interesting story that you told. Uh, about uh, an experience that you had had, and this this one has stuck with me. So let's let's roll this one. Every paycheck or every time you get a bit of money, you put a certain percentage aside uh, for yourself in, into a savings account. So you're always saving. The trick is to always be saving. Um, the, the the lesson that I took away uh, from a dear friend of mine, his grandfather, was was this actual practice. And and the short story is, I, I met him once um, at his uh, family store. And my friend actually wasn't in that day, but his uh, grandfather uh, said he'd give me a ride home. I was living with my buddy at the time, so he said he would give me a ride home. So in the car ride home and actually in front of uh, my friend's house, uh, we started chatting. And he was talking to me about 
paying yourself first. And he was giving me the ins and outs of when he was a young man starting out in business, he would always take a percentage of money or a little bit, even if it was $5, and put it away. And, and I took it to heart, and I documented it and, and remembered it, and I actually printed out a little sign, put it up in my bedroom, and I started doing that practice. So every time I would get paid, I would take $20, $40, put it in a separate bank account. Now, this is going back many years. So this is before, I'll say, the digital age of transferring money back and forth uh, electronically. This is when you actually had to go to a bank and make a deposit. Um, I still think we had direct deposit, but beyond that, um, the concept of um, electronic banking wasn't full-blown at that point. So every week I would prepare a deposit slip and go to the ATM or go to the bank and, and deposit $20, $20. Then it became $40. Then it became $60. And then for me, it became sort of a quest where I would just every week put in a certain amount of money every pay period and keep increasing that amount. And when I was uh, got a tax refund or some sort of small windfall, I put that money away. And before you knew it, I wasn't living paycheck to paycheck anymore because before I started this practice, I was living paycheck to paycheck and realizing where did all my money go? I was making decent money even out of school. My rent was low, living with my buddy. It was practically rent-free, just splitting utilities. He let me there, uh, live there rent-free. But I was still living paycheck to paycheck even as a young man. So this lesson I took to heart, and, and I still have that sign, and it's hanging over my desk today, the original sign, Jody, um, where it says, pay yourself first every pay period. And it has a really bad GIF in the middle from like the old Windows days. And, um, and I have it hanging, and I have that original piece of paper framed over my desk at home. Paul, I, I absolutely love that story. And, and if, if it, people take anything away from our podcast, it's that spirit of – not only making sure that you have control of your money, but also making sure that you're making your money do what you want it to do. And part of that, in addition to paying bills, is making sure that you're taking care of uh, of yourself, your family, and the things that you want. You know, we only get one shot at this life, right? And so we got to make it count. That's a great story. I love it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and I still have that sign over my desk. And I think I, you know, mentioned this um during the podcast, maybe, um, I stopped doing it for a little while, and now I'm doing it again, and now it's the most exciting part of getting paid still to this day. So when I get paid every two weeks, I have a, a, a ritual where I take a certain amount of that money, and I write a check to myself. I literally write it to Paul Fagan, and I deposit it into my savings account. Um, so it's very interesting that I still do that methodology and I remember that car ride very intently and sitting in the car with him and and some of the things I didn't really talk about during the podcast because it was we didn't have that much time but one of the things that stuck out to me that I'll kind of bring forward was his rationale for paying yourself first was so on point that he said to me and I'm paraphrasing I can never repeat exactly what he said but he says, Paul, you work hard. He goes, my son tells me every day, you're up at five o'clock, you have to go to the city, you're working at that bank, you don't get home till it's dark. He, he goes, and then you get paid. He goes, don't you think you deserve to get some of that money? Don't you think <laughs> can, that you that. should get some of that money? You worked hard for that money. You should get some of that money. He goes, before anyone else gets their hands on that money, 
you should get some of that money. And he was right. Like he was a hundred percent right. <laughs> We're just, you know, so that's when I started it. And I remember, and I, I was at a little bank, uh, that I was uh, a customer of sound federal savings. And I used to use the printed passbooks, and I would go in there and I went in that weekend when I got paid and I put in $20 or $40, whatever it was. And I got to see it climb. And, and, and that always stuck with me, but he was right. Like so many people are out there just blindly working and, you know, you deserve to get a little bit of that money. Most people, they don't get to see any of their money. They really don't, which is sad. Um, I don't know if it's the sign of the times, um, dual income households. I mean, it's gotten really crazy in the last, you know, decades, right? Um, but I, I remember that part of the story that resonated with me. So I think that for me, I, I'll always remember that story. I have the sign over my desk with the bad gif and... Um, it, it's always meant a lot to me, so I, I, I still continue with that ritual today. So, yeah, that's a, that's a great story, and, and like I said, uh, it stuck with me for sure. I think it's one of the high watermarks of, of the last year of doing this podcast. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I think I'll jump into, we usually call it a summary recap, but I'll call it maybe lessons learned. Maybe it's a recap. Um, I'll just kind of kind of riff on what my thoughts are. So I've been, I, you know, I'm I'm happy, thankful, and grateful we're doing this podcast. I always say that with other things, but this is very cool, especially uh, being able to uh, talk about this uh, with yourself, Jody, kind of like-minded when it comes to personal finance. Um, and each and every week, I learn a lot from the dialogue we have each and every week. Uh, things that you do versus the way I do things versus things we're researching and reading. I think it's. Um, you know, I think it's been great to help me bolster my financial knowledge, number one. I think, number two, it's helped me become a better public speaker. I think that I speak better than I do going back to the earlier podcast. So I think it's helped me in that respect. And I think the third piece of this is always learning. Learning the mechanics of building a podcast. It's a constant learning process, whether we're researching how to do things on social media expanding the social media reach with YouTube now and Facebook and now most recently Twitter, um, being able to reach out to uh, different podcast distribution venues to get our podcast out there on different mechanisms, uh, reaching out and soliciting for podcast reviews, all these different things we get to learn, uh, even the mechanics of recording, editing, good microphones, adjustments to the microphones, all these different things, all these little things, I think, come into play. And I'm you know, just thankful and grateful we've been able to do this, Jody. So thank you. Jody, what's your recap when it comes to or lessons learned or whatever you want to call them for this week? Yeah, I agree with you, Paul. And uh, I- I'm uh, thankful and grateful that uh, you got this idea started because we talked about this for a long time. And uh, we-, we finally just jumped in one day and did it. And we've been off and running, I think, every week with only one week off, I think, the, the entire year. So... Um, thanks to you for getting this thing started. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, uh, grateful for the, what I've learned along the way as well. And, uh, and grateful for everybody who's listening and who gives us feedback, uh, both, uh, publicly and privately, right? Whether you're, whether you're posting something on the Facebook page or the YouTube channel, or you're just emailing us and letting us know, um, what you heard. Uh, we really appreciate it. We want to hear more of that. Uh, we'd love to have lots of you on, uh, as guests this year. Uh, in this coming year uh, to, to hear what your experience is with family and budgeting and money. Uh, there's, there's no way uh, that we hold all the knowledge. And so we want to make sure that uh, we hear from you guys as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. I forgot about that point. I'm remiss in not saying that. So apologies there. And thank you, Jody, for those kind words. And uh, yes, we believe that our subscriber base, which is small, but I believe uh, very well informed, very intelligent audience that we have. Um, I think we and they're so good looking, too. That's right. Uh, but no, seriously, we really do treasure everyone who who listens. I get informal feedback. I get emails. I get people calling me, texting me. Um, so thank you for all those that are friends and family and others that are listening uh, to the podcast. And, and those of you uh, who I've never met, thank you as well, because every little bit um, helps us and keeps us motivated to keep going. So, well, Jody, I thoroughly enjoyed our discussion today, and I'm personally looking forward to the next one. Thanks, everyone, for downloading our podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at financialdads at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook. Just go to financialdads.com. So with that, this is Paul and Jody reminding you, managing finances can be stressful, but that's why the Financial Dads are here to help you plan for success. Have a good one, everybody. Be well and thank you.